Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi everyone, Dr. Mike here. Sorry that we haven't uploaded any episodes. We've been on a bit of a hiatus lately. We're trying to uh, fill up our uh, collection for you so that we've got a number of great episodes coming up with a lot of very interesting people that we've interviewed. Uh, we should be back in a week or so, but in the meantime, I'm going to pop up a couple of shorter episodes that we've been recording with ABC Radio. So every week, every Tuesday evening at 8 p.m., Dr. Matt and I go into ABC Studios and we talk about how the human body works with the evening host, Kelly Higgins Divine. So these episodes are quite short. They have live listener calls. Some of these listener calls are quite interesting. Uh, but we'll be back soon. If you enjoy these episodes, feel free. We've got the whole collection available on another podcast, that's right, called How the Body Works. So you just need to type that in, into iTunes. Guys, if you haven't already given us a five-star rating, please do. If you don't think we're worth a five-star rating, that's okay. Just keep listening. Tell your friends. Please don't give us anything less than a five-star rating. Well, we want to hear your feedback as well. Please leave a comment or you can send us an email, gubiosciences.gmail.com. Enjoy. Bye. Let's take a deep breath and sniff out another wonder of the human body with our resident expert, Dr. Mike Todorovic from Dr. Matt and Dr. Mike's medical podcast. Indeed, that smell tonight. We explore the sense of smell, Dr. Mike Todorovic. Good evening. Good evening. How are you, Kelly? Good. Now, smell, why Why do we need a sense of smell? Well, similar to last week where we spoke about a sense of taste, uh, allowing us to determine whether certain molecules are beneficial to us or maybe detrimental, our sense of smell is linked with our sense of taste and also tells us whether something, again, is beneficial or detrimental through mm. that sense. So it may tell us whether there's a danger approaching. Uh, so if we're a lower order animal, it may tell us if a predator is coming, mm -hmm. maybe if food is off, yep. something like that. Or if something's beneficial, it may tell us whether we should eat it or not eat it. Mm. Or have it around, like flowers. Yeah, like flowers, exactly. Yeah. Some scents are just pleasant, some are just not pleasant. Mm. How do we smell? 
So Not badly. <laughs> oh, it's an oldie bit of goodie. No. <laughs> so we've got our, we've obviously got our nose, which is our primary olfactory organ. So the term olfactory. Mm-hmm. So the olfactory system is the system we use to smell, and the primary organ for that is our nose. Now, our nose isn't there just for smell. So, mm-hmm. for example, every day we breathe in about 10,000 litres of air that gets uh, humidified. 10,000 litres? Yeah, 10,000 litres. Wow. And I don't know what I thought it would be, but 10,000 probably wouldn't have been my guess. Yeah, it's a fair bit. It really well, is. A, when you relax, you breathe in and breathe out about half a litre mm. of air, every just relaxed breath. Mm. So 10,000 litres... What your nose does is it humidifies this air. Yeah. Uh, it heats this air up to about 35, 37 degrees, and mm-hmm. it cleans the air. And so all this is important so that when the air gets down to the lungs, there's yeah. no particulates or, or pollutants or anything like that down in the airways. But obviously, when we inhale air, that air and all the molecules in the air will go up the nose. Mm -hmm. And if you go from the entry point in the nose, if you stick your finger in your nose, which I can tell you're doing right now, just for the listeners. Yeah. So Kelly's got a finger right up the nose right now. from there for an hour. (laughs) (laughs) So if you go up about seven centimetres, which you wouldn't be able to do, which is probably the length of my pointer finger. Yeah. Well, well, in saying that, if you go that high, you'll end up hit hitting the roof of your nose, which yeah. is called your olfactory epithelium, and it's covered in mucus, and there's Ew. some neurons that project down from your brain uh-huh. through uh, into this olfactory epithelium. So these neurons, which are coming originally from the brain, they come through this plate. There's about 10,000 of them yep. that move through this bony plate. The, this bone has all these holes in it, and all these neurons are projecting through. And when you inhale air, the molecules will come up and they will touch and attach to these receptors of olfaction mm. and send the signal up to your brain for you to make sense of what you've just smelled. Ah. Yeah. So that's, that's how we smell. Is our response to smell learned or is it intuitive? So a bit of both. So you'll find that there's an intrinsic response to smell Mm -hmm. and there's a part of our brain that's involved with that as well. So, for example, there's going to be certain smells. They may be putrid smells, for example, Mm -hmm. or pungent smells where, or just generally unpleasant where you can elicit these parts of the brain and you have an automatic response. And if it's unpleasant, then that response may be a choking or gagging response. It may be to move away or sneeze. Or if it's pleasant, it may induce licking lips or even salivation as well. So, Mm. for example, with children, you can sometimes um, give them a smell of a banana, for example, and sometimes they can have a suckling effect or they lick Mm -hmm. their lips. Um, There was a study done, I can't remember when it was, but a couple of years ago, where they got, I think, 30 mothers who just had newborn babies, Mm. and they washed a single breast. Yep. And then they place the bub face down onto the chest and let the bub decide what boob to go to. Yep. And the vast majority of babies, I think it was 22 out of 30, decided to go to the unwashed yep. breast because it smelt more like mm. mum. I must admit that uh, we used to, when I'd babysit my uh, my young nieces and nephews, we'd get my sister just to put some breast milk, and they were small enough not to know the difference, mm. on a, a washer, a washcloth. Yes. And they would smell that and, and sense it was her before they could really tell the difference. We do the same. Worked a treat. Yeah, yeah. we do the same. Our bubs, little mm. uh, sleep 
blanky. Yep. Uh, smells. Breast milk mum. all over it. Yep. <laughs> smells like mum. it does the job. Like, yeah, it, she it, loves it. Some people are probably going, you do what? But honestly, <laughs> it, it works a treat because they, they smell mum. That's that, right. Yeah. And why not? That's what they react to. So, yeah. so there is this intrinsic response to a sense of smell. smell. But it can be mm. learnt. I mean, there's going to be times in which, so again, our sense of smell is linked to our sense of taste. And you may eat some food that's off and you get sick from it. Yep. And so just smelling that food, whether it is off or not, in the future may make mm. you feel sick and can even lead to people vomiting even though there's absolutely nothing wrong. Um, what's the link then between our sense of smell and disease? So, so this is interesting. Um, what you'll find, so first of all, where people who have lost their sense of smell, this is called anosmia, mm-hmm. lost your sense of smell, 50% of individuals with anosmia seem to have had at least one hazardous experience associated with their loss of sense of smell. So this may be a lack of ability to smell smoke mm-hmm. or a gas leak yep. or even being able to taste or smell uh, off food and result in food poisoning. Mm. So that's 50% of people with anosmia. Another study showed that they got 1,200 elderly individuals who had lost their sense of smell and they determined that these individuals were 36% more likely to die compared to those with a normal sense of smell. Oh, wow. Yeah, so there's... And is that because link. other things were going on in their bodies that were, had caused this sense of smell to be lost? Or Depends. was it because they somehow got into trouble because they'd lost their sense of smell? Yeah, so... The link would be, or likely be, that if you've lost that sense of smell, again, you are less likely to be able to smell smoke, smell Mm. a gas leak, taste potentially harmful foods. Uh, But there's also another link, because uh, what you'll find is the majority of reasons why we lose our sense of smell, Mm. um, probably right up there would be upper respiratory tract infections, blockages within the nasal cavity, for example, but it's also traumatic head injuries. Mm-hmm. And so you'll find that a good portion, I think it's around about 20% of individuals who have had a traumatic head injury, 20 to 30%, I think, uh, will result in some sort of olfactory dysfunction. Why is that? So, you know how I said the neurons coming from the brain go through a bony plate at the very top of the nose? Mm-hmm. So this plate called the cribriform plate has these little holes in it. And if you hit your head and knock it, this plate works like a grater and potentially just shifts and grates the neurons and then oh. it just shears them off. And so you lose your neurons and therefore lose the and ability. And they don't grow back, obviously. So th- it's around about 10 to 15% of mm. individuals who have lost their sense of smell due to traumatic brain injury will develop it back. But th- that's a very low number, obviously. Yeah. And sometimes it can take, I think there was one study where it took nine years to get their sense of smell back from a traumatic head injury. Goodness gracious. Yeah. That's something else to, to watch out for. But that's not all with the diseases so, yeah. and loss of olfaction. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, loss of a sense of smell is also associated with dementia and Parkinson's disease yes. and is actually recognised as one of the uh, preclinical or pre-symptomatic signs mm. and in some cases can precede the disease or at least precede the regular clinical manifestations of the disease by up to 10 years. Yeah, well, and that's interesting. My, my dad has Parkinson's and yeah, smell went, but also uh, uh, dreaming. Mm. He would uh, live out his dreams. Wow. So, you know, taking football speckies and running from people and, you know, all the things that we dream about normally, but we don't act out in our dreams. There's that response where we don't, it sort of dampens down what we do when we're asleep. That goes. Yeah, so it's uh, amazing. Yeah. Uh, With 
certain neurodegenerative diseases. Obviously, mm. certain neurons in the brain are starting to die off. For Parkinson's disease, it's the neurons that release dopamine. Yep. And what dopamine does is it smooths the movement out and allows us to initiate a movement, mm. which is why when those neurons die off, it's hard for them to start moving and start walking. But once they start, they're not too bad. But also, mm. smoothing a movement out, it stops that, and so they end up getting the shakes. And other parts of the brain start to die off uh, including those yeah. that are associated with uh, turning our motor system off, our muscles off while we sleep so we don't act out our dreams and become dangerous. Mm. Um, what about medications? Are there some medications that can affect people's sense of smell? There's heaps. So yeah. like last week when we spoke about some taste. medications for yeah. taste, there's a huge number that affect it for smell and there's similar medications as well. So last week mm. we said that some of the anti-cancer or, or uh, chemotherapeutic drugs mm. uh, can alter or reduce the sense of smell. So if it's reduced, it's hyposmia. Uh, If it's altered, it's a dis, so that's why it's the dysregulation. Mm -hmm. Or if it's gone, it's anosmia. Um, So chemotherapeutics, antibiotics, there's actually a huge range of antibiotics that can play around with the sense of Mm -hmm. smell. Um, These can include the tetracyclines, uh, cisplatin, a whole bunch of different types. Mm -hmm. Um, Just a wide variety of of medications. And the reason why, we don't really know. Our sense of smell probably is one of the least known senses compared to vision and sound and taste. It's really hard to investigate because with vision, we know that you've got, you know, your prime, the three primary colors that you can see with your cones and we know the boundaries of those wavelengths. And same with sound, we know the hertz, what Mm. the boundaries, but for taste, there's no boundaries to odorance. Yeah. Uh, for smell, smell, sorry. There's yeah. no boundary for odorance. And so... The so I- there aren't a certain range of smells we smell. We should smell everything depending how close we are to it because dogs, they say, have a better sense of smell. Mm. Like they can pick... I remember a dog trainer telling me that uh, you could get a Kosciuszko high set of pancakes and the dog would find the one with lemon in it yeah. pretty quickly. It's which amazing. Is am- which is amazing, really. It's, and it's strange because uh, hi- historically we've always stated that humans have a very poor sense of smell. Mm. There's a study that's been released that said we can smell up to a tr- one trillion different odours. Wow. That's been debated a little bit. They said mm. that the calculations performed weren't necessarily... Yeah, that seems like resolve. a lot of smells. It's a lot of smells. Um, but they also state that, yes, while we have about 10 million olfactory neurons, mm. which allow us to have a sense of smell, dogs may have between 10 million but up to about 150 okay. million. So it, it, it varies. Mm. But it's also not necessarily the fact that they may have a better sense of smell. There's a couple other differences. So at the very top of our nose where those neurons come out, the surface area there for us is about five square centimetres. For a dog, it's about 175 square oh, centimetres. Okay. So it's a lot larger. It's a lot larger. Mm. Um, but also it seems to be that dogs may be more sensitive but only to certain odorants. Mm. So certain smells. And we will be more sensitive than dogs in other smells. So it really mm. depends on the type of smell as well. And, and you can they train They seem to love disgusting smell. smells. They really do love disgusting yes. smells. They search them out. But we know that bloodhounds, for example, I think they were saying that they were able, a bloodhound was able to follow a human track through a city 48 hours later mm. after the individual walked through. And they did wow. this with numerous bloodhounds and it was 96% accurate at following the trace. It's <laughs> just amazing. I can it do really that. It really is. I could probably do it with chocolate, but I'll probably <laughs> nothing else. <laughs> 
1300 is the number to call to ask a question tonight of Dr. Mike Todorovic about smell, your sense of smell. Maybe it's altered over the years. You want to ask a question about that? <coughs> Pardon me. Uh, it could be anything. If you're just curious and you have a question, give me a call tonight, 1300 How do smells affect our moods? Because people will say, you know, if you want to go to sleep, spray a bit of lavender about or... Uh, if you want to feel better, there are certain smells. You know, people have a, I like citrusy smells, for example, in my yep. house. You know, some, when you get those 30,000 choices of candles, all of which are great. Yeah. Uh, you were, Well, not all of them are. Some of them you go, oh, no, yeah. that's not for me. But others love it. And I like those citrusy, vanillary kind of smells. So how do they affect our moods, though, when, when we smell something, well, we like or we dislike? So, again, that's something that can be learnt. And so... If you have had, if you're in a good state of mind, in a good place, and yep. something good has happened to you, and there's a certain smell associated with it, that mm. tends to stay with you for quite a while. Well, the vanilla would be ice cream. Oh, of course. I'm with it. you with that. Yeah. But what we also find is that the sense of, so interestingly, so obviously the smell needs to come up into the nostril yep. and go to the brain. Now, you've got two nostrils, and it it seems to be that to have a, create a stronger memory for smell, mm-hmm. you actually need both nostrils to be working quite well. Oh, okay. And what we find, now it doesn't mean that. So if you've got a cold, you're, and something happens smell wise, you probably won't remember that as if, in not the as same sm- way. Not as, as strongly. You, wow. Potentially, potentially. Potentially. So it seems as though if both nostrils are clear, mm. you create a stronger memory of the smell than if a, you're just using a single nostril. Yeah. And the other thing is that it seems as though, because we've got erectile tissue in our nostrils, so this is just filled with blood and gorges and thickens, and that it seems to fluctuate from one nostril to another the blockage or opening of the nostril. And so for maybe for a few minutes or hours, you're breathing predominantly through one nostril and then it Mm. swaps and goes to the other nostril, which can alter which side of the brain that stimulus can go to. Mm. And so if the left-hand side tends to be more lateralized to language for most people, not everyone, that if you smell something in your left nostril, go into your left hemisphere of your brain, you may be able to verbalize what you're smelling better than if you smell it in your right nostril. Very good. Mike, I'm going to get you good headphones on. Yeah. We've got a couple of calls. Rex is at Crow's Nest. Hi, Rex. G'day there. <laughs> hey, you wanted to ask Mike a question. Yeah, I'm just interested. Uh, I can smell a snake from 15 to 20 feet away. Really? Wow. And I've actually talked to other people and they can't. And I just wanted to know, why is that? What does a snake smell like to you? I was like going to ask you? the same question. Well, it's a bit hard to explain, but it's more like a, it smells like a dead rat. Uh, wearing perfume. Wow. It's got a, a sweet <laughs> That's one classy rat. <laughs> 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 All right, so you can smell. How long have you been able to do this? Oh, for ages. I, I, I live in the, the country here, and yeah. um, I've actually walked into my shed, and I've gone, hang on, there's a snake somewhere here, and I keep looking around, there'll be a carpet snake. Or so you can smell that. it before you see it. So you don't see yeah. it and then recognise the smell. You smell it, and then you can see it. How successful are you? So the majority. So when you think that you've smelt it, and then you look, how often would you find the snake after you smell it? Oh, ninety-five percent of the time. Oh wow, that is great. That's pretty cool. Mm. I can't explain any of that. <laughs> no, but maybe if you've have you lived around sort of rural bush areas all your life? No, no, I was a Brisbane Brisbane boy for a long time. I've only been up here for about. Uh, 10 years. Okay. That's amazing. 
Well, we haven't got an explanation, but we're fascinated <laughs> by the fact that you can do it. Are there any other things that you tend to pick up before other people do? No, any other smells? No. Mm-hmm. Actually, I've heard um, very high-pitched whistles mm-hmm. uh, that uh, people can't pick up, and I sort of go, oh, well, you know. Maybe it's just my ears. Funny. Maybe you're a blue healer in a former life, Brex. <laughs> <laughs> You've just taken some of the traits through into this into this yeah. existence. <laughs> I, 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 I can walk into the shed and I go, hang on, I can smell something here and I'll, I'll search around and I'll usually find him. Yeah. That's great. Can you tell different types of snakes or do they, they all no, kind of smell the same? Not, not usually. All um, right. I mean, I've had uh, carpet snakes, I've had red-bellied blacks. Mm-hmm. The only ones I'd didn't get close enough to smell with a brown, which... Yeah, don't get too close. <laughs> yeah, you don't need to know <laughs> if that smells that differently. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Mike, that's a fascinating skill to have. I think so. Absolutely. I would love to have that. I mean, I don't like snakes, so I would mm. like to be able to recognise them before I come into contact with them. Yeah. I get a lot here now because I, I grow water plants and I get a lot of frogs here, so I get maybe 15 to 20 different types of snakes. Oh, after the frogs. Yeah. Yeah. All, all different varieties, bandans and... Brilliant. You can smell them all. That's great. Look, Rex, thank you for calling in. I'm sorry we don't have an answer for you. No. But, yeah. That's amazing. Snakes. Yeah. Well, so when it comes to, so animals, and obviously we're included within that Mm. category, uh, especially mammals, have the ability to smell pheromones. So these are often chemical signals uh, coming from another animal, yep. uh, which can sometimes result in sexual excitement, prepare mm. an animal for, you know, all that type of stuff. It doesn't seem to be that humans actually have pheromones that they release or actually have the ability to smell pheromones. Oh. Uh, so there is an organ within the nose of mammals, mm. which tends to have... a a lot of these neurons present and sort of in the septum of the nose, inside the nose in the septum, with certain receptors that can pick up pheromones and get, takes it directly to the brain. Do we used to have it and we don't anymore? Well, it doesn't seem as though we do. So there mm. is this little cavity that's present, yep. but doesn't seem to be connected to the brain at all. However, mm. in saying that, there have been some studies. I'm a bit dubious on these studies. Yeah. And so, for example, one of the studies was they took the uh, underarm sweat of a woman and place that underarm sweat on the upper lip of a number of other women. Uh-huh. Okay? And they found that over a period of five months, that those women with the sweat on their upper lip tended to become synchronous in their menstrual cycle with the woman's sweat that they took it from. Now, let me just say, the, the amount of women they looked at this <laughs> was, yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you. I found it interesting, but then I had a look at the number. The yeah. numbers were too well, low. Just five of them? Five months. Mu- but the other thing is, over five months, what you're going to yeah. find is that just with the normal small alterations in cycles, They're gonna do it anyway. it's going to happen anyway. Yeah. So that sort of dismissed the whole pheromone thing for me. Yeah. Let's go to Haminda in Brisbane. Hello. Hello. How are you today? Good. What's your question for Mike? Well, about um, five, six years ago when I was... Um, putting chemicals in the pool, I was putting acid in it and you know how the acid fumes up and mm. I got a bit of it up my nose and since then I can't smell as well and food never tastes as good. Is, will oh. I recover from that or is that a permanent damage from the acid going up the nose, the fumes? Interesting. So, yeah, that's a, that's a difficult question to answer uh, because 
what we have in our nose with those olfactory neurons, they do regenerate and they do have that regenerative capacity because every day we're inhaling pollutants and particles which are damaging those neurons. Mm. And so we actually have this lifetime ability to regenerate them. To the degree in which you've potentially damaged them with the fumes of the acid is, is hard to determine. That's the first thing yep. and therefore hard to determine whether to what degree you will or will not get some sort of olfactory recovery. Mm. Have you experienced any recovery since? Well, I can smell flowers in close proximity really strongly before other people, but like I, I like spicy food. Before, even a little bit of spice was enough. I could smell the food, but now I put heaps and heaps in. Oh. And it's only when I taste it that I go, oh, this has got a lot of spice in it, but I can't smell it as much as I used to. Oh, that's interesting. So mm. there also seems to be, with our sense of smell, very strong substances, noxious substances like ammonia and chilies and so forth, they tend to irritate another nerve that's separate to these olfactory nerves called the trigeminal nerve. Yep. And, and this nerve also goes back to the brain and gives us that sense that, oh, okay, I've, I've just had something very strong. Yeah. And sometimes people get confused with the sense of smell with the, by stimulating this nerve. So that's why when they do... So there are odorant tests, so olfactory tests that can be performed, and certain uh, medicos, doctors can perform these olfactory tests. Okay. Um, different ways, they've got little jars with smells in them. They may have a pen with a smell, uh, maybe a scratch and sniff pad as well. Mm. And usually these smells aren't noxious they aren't these strong ammonia smells or things like that because you can sometimes get confused with whether it's your olfactory system smelling it or you're stimulating that nerve at the back of your uh, oh, okay. nasopharynx have you been to the doctor about it Haminda? well i never really took it that seriously but i've noticed that i always want more and more spices in my food and oh. everyone's going man that's hot <laughs> yeah i can barely taste it <laughs> interesting as well that even you can't taste it as well that the smell yeah. has somehow so is the is it less spicy to you as well yeah i, I need to put extra in to get the same kick mm. yeah that's and interesting well we know that the sense of smell is intrinsically associated with the sense of taste yeah. Yeah. and that uh, the majority of people who say they've lost their sense of taste often have actually lost their sense of smell which has impacted their sense of taste and if you lose that sense of smell certain tastes like i think it's colas and licorice and chocolates and mm. things like that they tend to lose that edge to them yeah, well. yeah. It, it doesn't taste as um Sweet mm. or as nice or yes. as spicy as it used to. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I mean, no, maybe a trip to the doctor. I'm with you. Yeah. I'll we'll have to go and ask him. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for calling. Thank you very much. Thanks, Aminda. mate. Yeah, and I imagine there are a lot of people who've had that same thing happen. You yeah, know, absolutely. You get that, that acid or whatever it is and that smell and it, and it affects you for a while. Yeah. Leanne at Deception Bay, good evening. Good evening. Thanks for taking my call. No worries. What happened with your daughter? Uh, she's 23 years of age. She fell down the staircase at age four and broke her nose. Now, we believe she had a sense of smell before that, but we really don't know. But she certainly has never had a sense of smell ever since. And we've been to various specialists over the years and alternate therapists and nothing. Um, the last alternate mm. therapist here in Brisbane said, no, sorry, never, never going to happen again. However, I was interested to see if the doctor felt that maybe there are some new... Um, avenues out there that we could investigate um, yeah even some um, you know university um, studies that have been put together at the moment you know Anything. some pathway some pathway forward for us yeah well that we were talking I don't know if you heard us Liam we we're talking about uh, a head knock that can you know graft Sheer off your your um the, the little you be you explain it better yes, than I do that was very interesting actually. yeah so yeah. I wonder if that might 
might have happened yeah, so to it, your daughter. It I wonder. So the, the literature shows that it doesn't actually need to be a hard head knock either to right. alter the uh, sense of olfaction. Okay. And again, it's because we've got 10 million odd neurons projecting through this bony plate and they're just mm -hmm. holes in bone. And so the neurons yep. go through these holes and if you shift that plate through a head knock, it can shear off those neurons. And like I said, there is a percentage of individuals, I think it's around 10 to 15% of individuals yeah. tend to regain some of that sense of olfaction. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to, but like I said, one study demonstrated the return after nine years. So I mean, Ooh, I don't yeah. know whether there's any or necessarily any rhyme or reason to the time frame associated with this renewal. Nine years seems like a long time in my yeah. eyes, but I mean, who knows? Um, yeah. But when it comes to current studies and what's happening at the moment, there's nothing that I'm aware of at the moment. It doesn't mean there's, okay. there's nothing, but mm, there's nothing sure. I'm aware of at the moment um, okay. to sort of support this regeneration within the right. um, olfactory epithelium. Sure. All right. Oh, what thanks, a shame. Thanks, thanks anyway. Sorry about that. It's no always worries. worth asking, though. Absolutely. Yeah. We, we, we constantly, you know, keep our ears pricked. So yeah. Think. Thanks, okay, Leanne. Thanks, thanks so much. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Interesting, though. Um, age of four, you lose that sense of smell and... I, you know, it'd be interesting to talk to Leanne's daughter actually mm. about what, what that's like or people who have lost that sense of smell. Yeah, so How does it affect sort of just going through the world when other people are like, oh, can you... Um, there was a smell at, at the ABC recently. I forget what it was in the end. We found out what it was, but uh, because of some of the medication I take, it, my sense of smell is far lessened. It's, it's not great at all. Everybody else was almost being sick. I could smell nothing. Yeah. I was totally unmoved by it all day. And everybody, you could see people being physically affected. Maybe one by of the, the few smell. benefits. It was. It was one of, but it did make me think, oh, what if that was dangerous? What if That's I right. had missed something, you know, quite damaging? Or if there was a gas smell or something? And, you know, Tom and I are the only people here. We're not the only people here at night. So don't think about, you know, <laughs> ratting the ABC. But um, yeah, it, it's sort of, well, does that leave me in actually more danger than it is more a common mm. a positive? Well, a lot of people who've lost their sense of smell state that um, they feel that the, their world, their environment is flat. Mm. Um, yes, without, I could imagine without that. Without that yeah. smell and that taste, they don't seek out the pleasures within food mm. and therefore they lose weight, malnutrition, they don't feed well, their diet changes. So, oh, I mean, gosh, I'd like that for a month or two. <laughs> no, I don't but think you would. that's not happening. I don't think you would. <laughs> no, you're right. I really wouldn't. I really wouldn't at all. Um, Nev is in Brisbane. Good evening. Hello there. How are you? Good, thank you. Now, you have a theory about Rex's snake smelling ability. Yes, um, it's interesting that he can smell an odour which he perceives as being a snake. And mm. I'm a doctor, and when I was training to be a liver specialist in Los Angeles, I could walk into a room and smell people with liver failure. Whoa! Could you? They've got a particular smell to them called a paddock fetal, and I could smell this much more sensitively than anyone else. And I became known as the person to determine whether there was paddock fetal or not. Mm. Was it because you trained yourself into it? Did you train yourself no. into having that smell? Yes, yeah. oh, yes, yes, I did, but, um, but I could smell much more easily. I just walk into the ward and knew you could immediately I'd smell someone with liver failure, whereas wow. other people would have to go right up to their nose and mm. uh, nose right up to their mouth to see whether it was present or not. Mm. And there's other things too which are genetically determined, such as if you eat asparagus, um, you produce a chemical which smells... Uh, in the urine after yes. eating. But not everyone can smell that. That is genetically determined. And uh, mm. in fact, uh, if 
you can smell it, there's about 50% chance that your children will be able to smell it because it's uh, autosomally dominant inherited condition and other people cannot smell it even uh, irrespective of how much asparagus they eat, they just cannot smell it. It's not because they don't produce a chemical, it's just that they cannot smell that particular thing in the urine. Interesting. So I just wonder whether there are genetically determined things mm. which individuals can smell which other people can't and that's why this man might be able to smell snakes whereas other people can't. Yeah, well, I reckon you yeah. may have something there because mm. if you look at the, the genome and look at so our DNA and have a look at what parts of the genome are dedicated to our olfactory system. So our genome has about 30,000 genes mm. which basically turn into proteins wow. that do everything, right? Mm-hmm. Of those 30,000, it seems that 1,000 of them are dedicated just to our olfactory system, which is about 2 to 3%, which is the biggest family of genes dedicated to a particular thing that we have in our entire body. So most, a good chunk of those genes are dedicated to our sense of smell. So I would not be surprised if there are some variations of this genetic material mm. that results in some sort of alteration in the ability to pick up a sense of smell. All right, so there we go. So our DNA thinks it's very important. I think so. Yeah. Well, that's uh, that's just been brilliant this evening. We will have to come back to smell because there's a bit, quite a bit we didn't get to. Yeah. But uh, fascinating as per usual. Thank you very much, Thanks, Dr. Michael Dodrovich.